Last week we saw that God had wonderfully delivered David from the great dilemma that he had gotten himself into through his own lies and deceit. David had found himself a part of the Philistine army that was preparing to fight against Israel as a result of his affiliation with Achish. And so we were left with the question, what was David to do? But in the grace of God, the Philistine leaders merely sent David home. Despite David's lies and treachery, he came out smelling like a rose. David's treachery was not discovered. David's lack of trust in God did not result in his death or even his capture. David is spared the moral dilemma whether to fight against Israel or not. One supposes that David would not have fought against Israel, but thankfully and graciously, he did not have to make that choice. Instead, David is free to return home. Well, that's where the story ended. And one might think that there are no consequences to sin, no consequences to disobedience. Uh, David must have felt a tremendous sense of joy and relief over the way everything turned out. One can only imagine how he viewed all that had happened to him. Most likely, David was pleased with himself, patting himself on the back, thinking of how clever he was and how his schemes achieved his desired end. But the question that we need to face is, where was David spiritually at this time? David is still not trusting in the Lord in the way that he should, but the story does not end here. God is going to do a wonderful work in the life of David. We're going to find out this morning that God blesses David so that David can be a blessing to others. We're going to look at the way in which David is blessed in this narrative. First, David is blessed in the midst of his suffering. David is about to encounter a series of hardships. David experienced the hardships and consequences of his prior decisions. Finally, what David has done comes to roost. It comes back upon David. While David had been away with the Philistine army, the Amalekites came and raided the city where David was living, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. David and his men had suffered the loss of their homes as the city was burned by fire. David and his men had suffered the capture of their loved ones. If you notice in chapter 30, verses 2 and 3, it says, And had taken the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And then at the end of verse 3, And their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. Then we have the emphasis that David was not, did not escape the suffering. Verse 5, David's two wives also had been taken captive. So it's saying over and over again, repeatedly, that the wives, the children of David and his men were taken captive. While that was devastating for David and his men, we must not lose sight of the grace of God. God was gracious, for no one was killed. If you look at verse 2, 
and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And now these words, they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Now that is striking, for remember that when David and his men had raided these same Amalekites, they killed the men and the women. 1 Samuel 27, 8 and 9. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gergesites, and the Amalekites. Verse 9, And David would take the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And the only reason that he did that, we discovered when we were in chapter 27, is so that he would not be found out. So there would be no one living to disclose where David had been raiding. He had been ruthless. He had been totally insensitive to the Amalekites. Now these same Amalekites retaliate while David is away and now come and raid against David and in fact are getting back a portion of what David had taken from them. But what is striking is that in their raiding, even though David had killed their wives, these pagan Amalekites do not kill the wives and children of David and his men. This is the grace of God in David's life. Well, David and his men suffered the loss of joy. If you look at verse 4, it says, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. There is not rejoicing any longer. There is no longer this sense of relief, of feeling satisfied about themselves because they no longer had to go to the battle. But their rejoicing now has turned into a tremendous sense of depression. They wept and they wept and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're just pouring out your heart and your soul and you are weeping and weeping and weeping to the point where you're just too tired to weep any longer. David had also suffered the loss of self-confidence. David came to an end of himself. No plan, no scheme, no way out. In verse 8, it says David was greatly distressed. Distressed. This isn't just talking about anxiety or worry. It's talking about being at one's wit's end. It's talking about knowing, not knowing what to do. <laughs> David had lost any sense of recourse. All of his scheming, all of his conniving, all of his craftiness. He couldn't think of a way to solve the problem. And the reason was that the people had rejected David, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. Now here's the reason for this people spoke of stoning him. His men had turned on him. And they were no longer following him. In fact, they were blaming David for all that had taken place 
and they wanted to kill him. That was David's last earthly resource. Those were the last people that were on David's side. Once he lost his men, he lost everything. So what was he to do? And he was throwing his hands in the air. For David suffered, the, as I say, the loss of the support of his men. His men were blaming David for all that had happened to them. You see, the consequences of David's choices were now finally coming to pass. And they were ascribing to David the outcomes that they were facing. It was because of David's choices. It was because of David's decisions. It was because of David's ratings. It was because of David's actions that now they found themselves in this predicament. David is bearing the weight of all the decisions that he had made. Well, as a result of all of that suffering, all that hardship, and most importantly, coming to wit's end, in which he had no cunning, no craftiness, no scheme to get himself out of this, when he came to the place where he came to an end of himself, then he turned to the Lord, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We should not lose sight of the contrast between verse 4 and verse 6. Now notice verse 4 once again. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength. They wept until they couldn't weep any longer. They were exhausted, tired, and weary, and they no longer had strength. But now, God gives David the strength to go on. End of verse 6. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. This was David's refuge. This was David's encouragement. This is how David mustered up the strength and the will to go on. It wasn't simply his own resilience. It isn't that he was such a different strength and courage than that of his men. What distinguished David now is that David is going to turn to the Lord. And the Lord is going to be his refuge. The Lord is going to be his high tower. The Lord is going to be his rock. The Lord is going to be the one that David runs to. And so he is strengthened in God. So God brings David back to himself through the difficulties that came into his life. We must remember that it was the difficulties of life that brought an estrangement from God in the first place. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 27, when David had made that erroneous decision to go to the land of Gath, to Achish, in order for refuge... It was because he had failed to trust in the Lord. In 1 Samuel 27, 1, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. 
Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David's fear of Saul and all of the persecution that he had been experiencing, all the pain and suffering that David had gone through, actually created a wedge in David's heart in which he was no longer looking to the Lord, but now looking to his own reasoning, his own cunning in order to deliver him. Now, the difficulties that he is facing are going to bring David back to God. I think that's really important to keep in mind. It's teaching us that it is important to weigh that we respond to life's difficulties, our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our pains, our sufferings. If we're not careful, those sufferings may drive us away from God. But the irony is, those very same sufferings can drive us to God. It isn't the sufferings themselves that makes the difference. It's the response to those sufferings. It is the submission to God in those sufferings. It's turning to God to strengthen us, to enable us to endure the sufferings, to stand strong in our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in times of struggle, in times of hardship, in times of suffering, we need to turn to the Lord in our suffering. The Apostle Paul said, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. I know how to be hungry and I know how to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had learned to seek God's strength in the midst of his difficulties. David was blessed to learn that truth. Secondly, David is blessed through the Lord's guidance. Now David no longer is going to uh, simply act upon his own initiative. He isn't simply going to plan and scheme. Now David seeks the Lord's guidance in verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. This is the first time since chapter 26 that David inquired of the Lord in this manner. This is a reversal. It's not new. It's David going back to where he was prior to this year and a half in which he is in the land of Gath. Once again, now he's inquiring of the Lord. No longer is David relying just on his own judgment, and David is specific in the guidance that he seeks. Verse 8, he asks the question, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Now we see that God graciously answers David, and I say graciously answers, for this is unlike when Saul had sought the Lord's direction. Remember in chapter 28, verse 6, that 
Saul had inquired of the Lord, same word, but God refused to answer Saul. Verse Samuel 28, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. However, when David now inquires of the Lord, God graciously answered him. Verse 8 of chapter 30. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after his band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him. He answered him. God answered David. God was gracious. God forgave. God did not hold David's disobedience against him. He continued to minister to David and help him. Not only does God answer David, but God gives David a very favorable response. At the end of verse 8, it says, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. David is now going to follow the Lord's direction, verse 9. So David set out. The word so is extremely significant. It is the reason that David sets out. He's putting his trust in the Lord. He's doing what God tells him to do. God said, pursue, therefore he goes. This, again, is the tremendous change that's taking place in David's life. Before, when he knew the will of God, he went against it. Now, knowing the will of God, he follows it. Again, another example of God's grace and mercy and blessing to David is that the men are still supportive of David on this mission. Verse 9, so David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, that's all the men, that's all the men. Remember, in just a couple verses earlier, these very same men want to stone David. They want to see David killed for the decisions that David has made. Now, after inquiring of the Lord, these same 600 men, all of them, are ready to enter into a fight with David as their leader. God not only changed the hearts of David, but gave David grace in the sight of these men once again, in which now they are willing to continue to follow his leadership and they're willing to continue to go the way that he goes. And may I just say that it's their allegiance to David and not the Lord, for it's going to come out very clearly that these are worthless fellows just a little later on, meaning that they don't follow or believe in God. So it isn't because of what God had said. It's because of what David had said. But why now listen to David? It's the grace and goodness of God. God blessed David. However, 200 of the men were too weary to go on. Remember how weakened they were from all that they had, had happened to them. Verse 10. But David pursued and had 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. Too exhausted. We're not to think that this was an incredible journey that they were on. These were strong men. These were men that were used to fighting. These were men that were used to trumping up and down uh, through the, a very difficult terrain. They were exhausted. 
But they weren't exhausted because of the battle. They are exhausted because these are people that have been too tired even to weep. These are emotionally exhausted and drained men. They just couldn't fight. And it shows us how debilitating grief and sorrow and heartache can be. How you can't just sometimes muster the strength to go on. They had a great deal of incentive to want to go to battle. But they were simply too exhausted. And it's important that we recognize when we read the scriptures that God gives us a divine interpretation of what is taking place. And it's telling us specifically they were too exhausted to cross the brook. Not that they were afraid. Not that they were rebellious. And we could describe so many other reasons for their staying behind. It tells us it's because they're exhausted. They just can't go on. Application. What a blessing it is to have the word of God. To be able to inquire of the Lord. To seek his will as to what he would have us to do. We must not neglect the word of God. And replace it with simply following our own desires. David had forfeited in the past the opportunity to inquire of the Lord. And instead schemed and planned. When he could have inquired of the Lord back in chapters 27 and following, we need to be careful that we don't avoid the tremendous privilege which is ours to avail ourselves of God's wisdom given to us in his word. But even more, when knowing what the word of God says, we must follow it. David wasn't ignorant of God's will and desire when he went to the land of the Philistines. David knew that he should have stayed in the land of Judah. God had made that clear to David previously. But David chose not to obey God. And we need to be careful as Christians, for we can easily be tempted as a result of our own desires to go against what we know to be the revealed will of God. Why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, it's easy to say we're not going to do what God's word commands us to do. We want to do differently. Thirdly, David is blessed through an unexpected event. An unexpected event is that they find an Egyptian in need in verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And David and his men cared for the Egyptian in his need, verse 11. And they gave him bread and ate. They gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of cake and a figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then they question the Egyptian and find out that he was involved in the raid at Ziklag, verses 13 and 14. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? 
He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I felt sick three days ago. We made a raid against the Negev, against the Cherethites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David then enlists his help. Verse 15, and David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. The man indeed helps David and his men. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Here is a tremendous change in the heart of David. David, this ruthless individual, and dealing with the Amalekites, etc., on previous occasions, spares the life of this Egyptian. Once this man leads them to their desired place, David does not get even with him. He was one of the perpetrators. He was one of the malefactors. He was part of the burning of the city and of the looting, but David does not retaliate against him. We can learn from this passage that God's help comes to us in very unexpected ways at unexpected times. In the last chapter, it was the Philistine commanders that set David home. And we marveled at the way in which these commanders had set David free and had not captured him or had not killed him, but simply said, go home, go home. Now, David is going to be led and directed by an Amalekite servant. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? God could and does lead David through a vast variety of means and ways. And God provides for us in a vast variety of means and ways. We see David's change in heart as he ministered to the Egyptian. They took this Egyptian in when he was in a hot pursuit of those who had raided Ziklag. Nevertheless, they stop to help this Egyptian without knowing that he had any information to offer, without knowing that he could help them in their pursuit. But nonetheless, even though David is in hot pursuit, because he sees a person in need, they stop and they choose to minister to him. We see that as a beginning of the change of heart of David, and we also see the blessings that are associated with that change in heart. For God is going to use this in a way that David could not have known initially. Fourth, David is blessed with a great victory, verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Everything that was taken was recovered, verses 18 and 19. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all, all. Everything had been recovered. God's grace. In addition, 
David acquired more than what was lost at Ziglag, verses verse 20. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before them and said, this is David's spoil. These flocks and herds, remember, there's a list of places where these Amalekites had raided, including places in Judah. So when David comes upon this encampment, there is this huge resource. There's all this cattle and sheep and other livestock that are gathered there that didn't come from Ziklag. And so when David captures it, he captures it all. He captures it all. Everything that these Amalekites had taken from others. So David's spoil greatly increases. God completely restored David all that he lost and more. So God certainly had blessed David. This time, not despite David's faithfulness, but this time in keeping with David's faithfulness. This time, David was doing what God would have him to do. Fifthly, David shares the blessings of the spoil with others. David realizes that he was blessed to be a blessing, verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. The men who were with David wanted to deprive those who had not fought in the battle a portion of the spoil, verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that every man may lead away his wife and children and depart. So when they return on their way to Ziklag, they pick up the 200 men that were too exhausted to follow them into battle. And the 400 men that had gone to battle said, we'll let them have their wives and children, but that's it. They don't deserve to get back any of the other spoil that we've gotten. They don't deserve their possessions. (laughs) They they didn't earn it. Uh, We got it for them. It's ours. Well, David opposes the depriving others of the spoil, verse 23. David said, you shall not do so, my brothers. Uh, That was wrong. And David opposes the depriving of others on the grounds that those who were not, those who had fought were not more deserving of the spoil. Now, this this is a key thought. The men... These worthless fellows thought that these 200 people weren't deserving of the spoil because they didn't fight. Ipso facto, they deserve, the 400 thought, we deserve this. We went to battle. We did the hard work. This is ours to do with what we please. And we don't want to give any of it back to the rightful owners. You don't deserve it. David is going to challenge the notion of deservedness. And David 
is going to say, we don't deserve this. Just because we went to fight doesn't mean that now we can do with this spoil anything we want, that, that this is ours because of this great victory that he wrought. And he says three things. First, in verse 23, David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with that which the Lord has given us. So he says that the Lord has given us the spoil. This isn't spoil that we have taken. This is spoil that God has given to us. So there's no distinction between those that fought and those that didn't, for God has given it. Secondly, verse 23, he has preserved us. He has preserved us. They could have easily lost the battle. They could have easily been conquered. It is not their might and their strength that got them the victory over the Amalekites. It was God's saying to David, pursue them, and I'll give them into your hand. You will succeed. He says, he preserved us. And then thirdly, and given into our hand the band that came against us. So this all is coming from God. David is no longer taking credit for the things that God had enabled David to do. These are rather profound changes in the heart and mind of David, in which he is no longer trusting in himself, but trusting in God in very practical ways. Very practical ways. And this third one is that this isn't my cunning, this is my ingenuity, <laughs> this isn't what we have done. This is what God did. God gave us an Egyptian to lead us to the right place. It was this Egyptian that enabled us to come upon this Amalekite force totally unexpected by stealth Knowing, knowing exactly where they were, knowing exactly how they were encamped. God was behind this all. And David is finally giving the praise and the honor and glory to God, but not just in lip service, but in acknowledging that in God giving this to David and his men. <coughs> <coughs> Now, David and his men had a responsibility before God. David says, they are to share and share alike. Verse 24, who would listen to you in this matter? For as a share is who goes down in the battle, so shall a share be who stays by the luggage. They shall share alike. And that became the official position in Israel. Henceforth, verse 25, and he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from the day forward to this day. <laughs> and now lastly, we have an enlargement 
on the principle that we already just looked at, question of deservedness, a question of sharing the spoil. For David then graciously shares the spoils with still others. Verse 26. And David came to Ziklag. He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Amos, in Negev, in Jator, in Aror, in Shifmoth, in Eshtemoah, in Rachel, in the cities of Jerilamites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borshan, in Athak, in Hebron. And then it says the reason for all the places where David and his men had roamed. All the places where David and his men had roamed. If you remember, some of this spoil came from the land of Judah. But not all of it. Not all of it. David doesn't just simply return the spoil to those that lost it. Now, those that lost it get it back. But it's more than just those that had lost the spoil. Now, David shares the spoil with other leaders, other locations in the land of Judah where they had no loss, but simply because they were places where David and his men had roamed. These were places where David had found refuge. These were places where David was before he was in the land of Gath. David comes to a place of real repentance here. David is now thankful for these places of refuge where he left, thinking there is no protection for me here, there's no help for me here, there is nothing better for me than to go to the land of Gath and then this dwell in the land of Ziklag. There's something far better for David to do. Be faithful. Be loyal. Help the people of Judah. And that's what he does. And that's what he does. So we see the blessings of God and understand the way in which now David serves to be a blessing to others. So, takeaways this morning. First, it might seem as though we can get away with our sinfulness, but in the end, our sins will find us out. But not for the sake of judgment, but the grace of God. God wasn't going to allow David to remain in a state of estrangement from God. God wasn't going to allow David simply to say, look how bright, look how cunning, look how crafty I am, and I got out of all my trouble. And it looked like David was going to get scot-free. You know, you, know, you end the, the, the previous chapter, and David's just, go home, David, go home. And, you know, and they must have been frolicking on the way home, just saying, wow, look at that, man. Look what we got away with. And, and they're all delighted, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're home, and it's wiped out. 
Everything's taken. It's gone. And their wives. And their kids. But in the grace of God, they're not killed. They're spared. They're going to be delivered. God brings affliction to those who are unwilling to turn to the Lord for health and strength. He brings us to wit's end. He brings us short. He teaches us and shows us that there is no better place. David had said, there is nothing better for me. God shows David a better way. A better way to seek the Lord, to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord. That's the better way. And it's always the better way for us. God brings David back to himself through the difficulties that came into his life. Once again, let us guard our own hearts that the difficulties of life do not drive us from God, but drive us to God. And then thirdly, in the much larger scheme of things, not just in David's life and and not just in this personal applicational mode, but God was doing something much greater. And that was God was preparing David for the kingship. In the next chapter, Saul dies. Jonathan dies. Finally, David is going to be king. David was not in a state of mind and relationship with God in the beginning of this chapter in which he was fit to be king. David had to go through all of this experience, all this heartache, all this misery in order to ready him for the kingship, for what God would have for him. David became much less centered and other-centered. David cared for his men. David cared for the Egyptian. David cared for the Israelites. And our own suffering can make us much more in tune to other people's suffering. Suffering can make us kinder and more noble people, while at the same time humbling us. But there is a a very, very... uh, poignant verse that's given to us in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and it's repeated in Chronicles. And it is foundational to our understanding of David's perception of the kingship and his understanding of his role as king and his rule over God's kingdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, it reads as follows. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. He was convinced of that. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. This wasn't David's cunning. This wasn't David taking matters into his own hand. He had not killed Saul. He had done nothing. This was God's doing. God made David king over Israel. Important point number one. Important point number two. 
And he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Let me read that again. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. David knew that God had made him king. And secondly, he knew the reason. God had made him king for the sake of the people of Israel. God had made him a king to be a servant of the people, to be a blessing to the people. God had blessed David to be a blessing to others. We see the change in heart and mind in this chapter. We see the readiness of David not to just think about himself, but now to think about his actions and the ramifications for the glory of God and the people of God. David is ready to share the blessings of God as a way of blessing others. And that is true preparation for leadership. When we see, when we see that God blesses us so that we in turn can be a blessing to other people, then we're ready to lead. Then we're ready to lead. Then we're ready to do the work and will of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us today to bring honor and glory to you. We thank you for the many blessings that we enjoy, and I trust that we would use these blessings as a way of blessing others. Lord, I, I pray you guard our hearts and minds that we do not wander from you, and especially if there are difficulties and hardships that we are facing. May they not drive us away from you, but may they drive us to you. May we understand that when we may think that there's nothing, nothing better in life than to simply go our own way and do our own thing, may we understand that there's a far better way to live our lives. And that is in submission to your will and to make decisions that are going to be a blessing to not only ourselves but to others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy and grace to us. That so often, the consequences of our sin are not as stringent as they could be. That, Lord, so often, you still what would be very turbulent waters. You did that for David many, many times. And in many of those instances, David failed to give you the credit, failed to give you the glory, failed to acknowledge that you had delivered him by your grace. But now you brought him to a wit's end. You brought him to a place of true exhaustion. Not only physically, but having exhausted all his resources, even his men turning against him. And then, Lord, once again, you provide. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the times, perhaps, that we have been at wit's end. And yet, you have intervened. You have given us the way out. Help us not to forget. Help us to glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.